Coastal Carolina University offers you the academic experiences you need to succeed after college. From marine science to computer science, from theater to music technology, from hospitality management to health administration, there is a place for you at Coastal Carolina University. With inspired learning opportunities in the classroom, in the field, online, and around the world, Coastal Carolina offers the opportunities to support and empower your success. Visit coastal.edu to learn more. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, GM at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's no secret that we are in uncharted waters, but that doesn't mean we should be afraid because we are doing everything we can to keep our dealership clean and offering delivery services to minimize exposure. We've also opened a helpline for assistance of any kind, including grocery or medication pickup. Please call our CMA helpline at 434-220-8885. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com to learn more. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. Sports King Show, live on Sports 1061. The show with scores, interviews, the hottest topics, and the biggest sports stories of the day. It's the show where you'll hear from the players that make the plays, as well as the key coaches and personnel who make it happen. All of this and live phone calls from you, the Sports King Nation. Now, direct from his castle, located in an undisclosed location in the capital city of Richmond, Virginia, let's welcome to the throne, His Highness, Jamie King, the Sports King, on Sports 1061. And good Monday morning to you. I tell you, or actually, Tuesday morning, I'm losing track. Of course, yesterday, Memorial Day, and uh, we got a little late start this week, Tuesday, but the excitement builds here on the Sports King Show. We're going to head out to the West Coast momentarily, as hopefully everybody had a great Memorial Day, uh, paying honor to all those that uh, fought the wars before us and all the ones that are fighting today to allow us all the freedoms we have. We've got such a great guest lined up for you, a guy that's been on our show before, and a guy that I've always felt was without question, when you talk about great from a historical standpoint of NFL special teamers, the guy was at the absolute top of the charts, the best of the best. Uh, You can't have a list without this guy in terms of special teams. But that's just part of the story because when he left – more or less that special teams persona when people started saying, okay, he's not just a special teamer. He's a great linebacker as well. He went into the linebacking aspect at a greater level. And here's the thing. Most players, you say, well, they start off great. And sometimes their careers start going a little down through the years. This guy, like fine wine, got better every single year to me. He played his best football as he got out of football. It's an amazing story. I mean, this guy just got better and better and better and stronger and stronger as his career went on. And we welcome to the Sports King Show. Welcome back, Lorenzo Alexander, the outstanding linebacker, special teamer. And he's out west. Thank you for getting up early with us this morning on the Sports King. Hey, Jay, what's going on, man? No worries at all. Um, Good morning. And, uh, yeah, uh, how's everything been with you? Well, doing well. How's your family amid all this uh, craziness out there? Everybody's safe? Everybody doing good? Yeah, we're very fortunate. Um, We're out here in Paradise Valley, um, which is really good for us because it's been warm this entire time, um, unlike the last couple of years where we spent the off-seasons up in Buffalo. And so that's allowed the kids to get outside um, and kind of not get that cabin fever type of feel. Um, and then, you know, we, we have room and, and was able to spread out. And I think my wife did a great job as far as just creating a, a schedule and structure 
So the kids still felt like they had something to do every day academically, uh, physically, as far as the working out. And so I think mentally they handled it pretty good, um, even though they weren't able to see their friends and, and go to school in the traditional way. I've got so much to go through with you. One of the first things I want to ask you is, uh, age 36, and like I say, the fine wine aspect with you, you just got better and better and better in Buffalo. I know fans are just so sad that you have decided to retire. And, of course, you're leaving with your health and uh, leaving on a high note. But the fact is they wanted you back. The fans there love you. And when they heard that you were coming on the show today, they're like, man, please ask him to come back. <laughs> I know everybody wants you back. But uh, it's one of those things uh, It's one of those things that they say about a great act on stage or a great performance. Sometimes you have to know when to walk away. Is this the perfect time for you? Yeah, I don't know if it's the perfect time. You know, when you're looking from a football standpoint, as far as my life and what I've done and accomplished and what I think God is pulling me to do now it is. Um, obviously, the team is still very good, and I think they're set up, especially during this time where there's been a lot of uncertainty, a reduced offseason, to really do something special because they created a great nucleus and have great leadership and great vision, which is really was kicked off with Sean when he came in in 2017. And, uh, so I'm excited for the team, and so I think that's probably the biggest angst <clears throat> from my perspective. Like, man, is it one year too early? But when I put it in the perspective of of uh, what I've been doing away from the field as far as serving young men, mentoring young men, and um, especially um, in the context of family. My kids are getting older, playing sports. Um, the risk versus reward just wasn't there for me, even though I still love the game and, and still, still love preparing, getting ready for it. It was time for me to really focus on my family, allow my wife to um, play the, the, you know, really the front, become the star, and allow her to do some of the things that she's put a hold to, to really be the rock of our family. And, you know, through prayer, through some, some counseling and, and, and talking to a lot of close friends, um, it, it was time to, to make that transition. When you look at your career, of course, you came out of the California area, and then you go to Cal what point in your career did you say, you know what, uh, I'm really progressing here. I got a shot at this next level. When did you really uh, personally say, hey, this is something I could do for a living? When did it all come together for you? You know what, I think I've, I always had that mindset in college. I think in high school, it was probably around my sophomore, junior year, where I knew I could play at the next level and that the NFL would be an option. Um, and, and the reason why I say that is because I had an opportunity to, to train with a lot of guys. Um, and have a, you know, a, a really a unique experience. Uh, and I actually had this gentleman, Thomas Wurgespoon, on my IG Live the other day. He was one of those uh, trainers that trained all the NFL Combine guys. He happened to be in the Bay Area, Alameda, which is a neighboring city of Oakland. And he trained guys like Andre Carter um, and, a, and a ton of other guys, Aaron Rodgers, uh, myself, and a, and a man of other first-rounders and guys that came out and eventually had the opportunity to play in the NFL. And as a youngster at 16, 17, I was training with them as well and got to kind of bump up against shoulders with other NFL guys. And um, I felt like even though I was younger and obviously from a, from a talent aspect wasn't where they were at, but I never felt like I was a guy that was just like a fish out of water. And so I had a mentality, uh, I think at an earlier age than probably most, that I could at least compete with these guys. Now, whether I was going to be successful, that was a whole other story, but I at least could be on the same field. Our special guest, Lorenzo Alexander, the former Washington Redskin, former Buffalo Bills uh, member. Of course, he played, uh, started his career at Carolina, Baltimore, Redskins for six years, Arizona, Oakland, Buffalo. 
when I would look at your career and, and somebody said, hey, what do you think about the career? I would say perseverance would be number one. The fact that it didn't start easily for you, you worked your tail off to earn your reputation in special teams and then as a linebacker and you just flourished. But isn't it a testament to your work ethic and your dedication that, in my opinion, and if I'm wrong, please tell me, but I felt your best football were in your last several years. You played as great as anybody, and you just had such a resurgence. But that was because not only you learned the game, you played so well, you got better and better, your work ethic, your dedication. Uh, isn't it a testament to you in terms of the greatness uh, of what you brought out of yourself towards the end of your career? Yeah, I mean, from a defensive perspective, right, because my real opportunity was only – um, as a special teamer and had a, a smaller role carved out, you know, 10 to 12 plays defensively where you're not going to be as impactful when it comes to the stat sheet. And so I don't know if I was better, but I know I was more impactful because I had more opportunity. And um, I always tried to take advantage of whatever opportunity I had. And obviously that grew. If you're trusted with little, they can trust you with more. And I don't know if it's so much a testimony or a testament of of who I am, uh, more so than a testimony of the people that were placed in my life at different times when I needed them to help me mature, grow up as a man off the field, which I think then just adversely or conversely uh, impacted what I did as far as a football player. Because as I matured and understood what was important in life, uh, when I understood uh, who I was, I think I was able to just naturally um, – put more in the football, be more impactful, be more efficient, um, and do a lot of things. And so when I took care of my body um, and my mind grew and I matured, I was still able to do a lot of things that, you know, I, w I was able to do at 27. But now I have the mental capacity to understand, oh, I can get here a little bit quicker. Um, I can dominate in this way versus this way. And and, and it's really more so of, of just having guys like, I mean, I think about London Fletcher, Leif Fitzgerald, Kyle Williams. I think about um, – just so many people, uh, Antoine Randall, James Thrash, and I can go on forever about names of just people that are in my life and, and impacted me, Pastor Brett, Lynn, Lynn Vandenboss, from an off-the-field standpoint. And, and I mentioned all those people's names, not for what they showed me on, on the football field, but who, who they were as men. And that's kind of one of my biggest thing takeaways from the, from the league and what I've been trying to impart to some of the young guys as I, as I, as I transition away and will continue to do is, if you focus on becoming a better person or human being, a better man, having high character, and don't just compartmentalize your greatness and commitment and perseverance to strictly football, you're going to be impactful in everything you do. And so when you walk away, you don't feel like this hole in your heart because you've identified yourself as a football player. You are a great human being. And so being a great football player is a byproduct of you just being a uh, – have matured into a man. And so – I think that's what happened for me because I had other people kind of demonstrate that to me and I was able to stay healthy and just continue to grow physically so I could take advantage of that. Because so often do we say, man, I wish I was 30 again. <laughs> and I, I got the mental capacity, but my, my body just won't do what, it, what I wanted to do. And I, and I was uh, fortunate enough to kind of find that, um, that sweet spot where both of them were, at, were operating from a football standpoint. Um, at a high level, and that was really based on what who I had become off the field. When I talk to teammates about you, uh, they always talk about the class, your dedication to your craft, the fact that you are a great community member. You always have been. You've given back. We'll talk about your foundation after a while. But 
when you look at where you've been, Carolina, Baltimore, the Washington Redskins, Arizona, Oakland, Buffalo, was there one place, and of course you're in Washington the longest, is there one place of all those that really stood out as maybe your your greatest growth period or your most fun experience in football? Because sometimes mm-hmm. we know certain teams aren't as fun, aren't as right. enjoyable, and I don't want to put you to, put you in a position where you <laughs> offend anybody. It's like asking for your favorite yeah, child. Mean, yeah. but Right. And I think each each place played its own uh, role in whatever season of life. I mean, the greatest growth that I had was in Washington. Um, you know, I got there in 2006. I was still a second-year player, um, very immature in a lot of ways, and I met a lot of, uh, you know, just great people. Some of them I've already mentioned, um, but including like a Danny Smith special teams coach who really changed my life as far as understanding the importance of special teams because up until that point I had never really played it. Uh, Pastor Brett Fuller, who really helped me uh, develop uh, a relationship with Christ that obviously changed my life drastically. Um, they gave me perspective. And I also, you know, met my wife when I was in Washington and playing for D.C. Um, and so uh, that's really where I established being, established starting that path towards being becoming a man and really starting our family. And so that's where, where that solidified that foundation of, yeah, really faith, family, and football, and what that really looked like for a person or no having my own family. And then, obviously, Buffalo by far was the, the most fun I had, um, even though, you know, when I first got there, I didn't want to be there just because of the outside perspective, really the ignorant perspective I had because I had never been to Buffalo. But once getting up there, the, the importance I saw they had towards family, um, the passion they had, obviously, for the team, and really just wrapping their arms around me uh, was really awesome, the awesome experience and, and becoming a Buffalonian, even though I, you know, I only lived there four years. It's a place that I would always go back and visit because I met a lot of people that became like family and friends to me while I was there. And so um, I think those two places probably stand above the rest. But every, like you said, every, every place I went, um, I received something of, 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 of great benefit that I'm, that I'm still taking advantage of today. Of course, the Redskins win their last Super Bowl in 1991. You were part of that team uh, for six years. As you look at it from an outside standpoint right now, uh, asking you to put on your, uh, your your outside view hat, if you will, would you look at this team and say, do you think they're uh, closer now? Because many people wonder, they say, you know, going on 30 years of really not getting over the hump. Do you think they're going to turn the corner soon? Because fans are waiting and waiting, and uh, their patience is running very thin. Your thoughts on where the skins sit right now? Um, You know what? I, you know, obviously, Ryan Rivera is a cow guy. Um, I've been around him. I have a lot of close friends that have played for him and have great respect for him. And so I know he's going to have – he's going to try to develop the right uh, culture, environment that is conducive to building great people, which – uh, is going to lead to winning more football games uh, on Sunday. Um, the question is, and always will be, um, uh, will be, will there be great synergy from ownership to front office to um, to the coaches and players? Um, in any great organization I've ever been in, there has been that continuity. There has been an environment of, of of respect where you kind of stay in your lane, I'll stay in mine. We'll, we can question and push each other, but I'm never going to um, disrespect your position or you or go behind your back or do anything that is um, you know, out of pocket in any sort of way. And so I think 
if Washington can kind of move away from that drama of just stuff that really shouldn't be going on, if you just treat people the right way, the way they should be treated and respect them and, 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 and allow them to do what you hired them to do, um, and that's in all facets, right, and, and respect your, your superiors as well, I think they will be better because most NFL teams – have the talent to go out there and have an opportunity to win playoff games. It comes down to structure. It comes to the environment where you have to show up to work every day, the support of staff around you, and is everybody on the one accord. And the one thing that, you know, just kind of plagued Washington even when I was there was just all the other stuff that would be deemed as distractions. You had to put energy into as far as answering questions or worrying about, you know, is this person going to show up? You know, what, what is this media member? What did this information come from? You know, all that other stuff um, that, that just takes away from what, what the main goal. And the more you have of it, the harder it is to win. It's already hard enough to win the NFL as it is. And so I think just in a lot of different ways, they've kind of been their own worst enemy. And so hopefully, you, you know, you grow and learn from that. You know, you don't have to stay the same. And I think Ron is one of the good candidates to kind of help um, – start having that type of uh, environment you need to be successful in, in, in the league and have long-term success. And so it's all about now patience. And uh, one of the things I've learned, you know, just getting my word a little bit more is an impatient man or a patient man has great understanding. An impatient man makes stupid mistakes. And so you have to be patient um, as management, as ownership during this time of rebuilding and really coming through so that, you can make sound decisions as you continue to build your football team and not make ones that aren't beneficial uh, in the long term. Our special guest, Lorenzo Alexander, the outstanding former special teamer and linebacker of, of among others, the Redskins and, of course, the Bills. I do want to ask you this. When you look at your career, the two-time Pro Bowler 2012-2016 you did so many great things, and you played such great football at a high level. When you look back now, and I know it hasn't been long to look back in your career, which was outstanding, is there one highlight or one particular aspect that stands out above all in terms of all your accomplishments? Mm. Uh, I mean, I think, I mean, the man of the year being um, tied to the man uh, – Walter Payton, um, and obviously everything that he meant on the field, but getting to know his family, um, especially during these last two seasons where the NFL has really made an emphasis of making that the, the, the prestigious award that it needs to be, um, has really been the, probably the, one of the, the biggest honor uh, because he was just a great dude all the way around. Um, um, Leslie Frazier coached me and, um, he played with him on the 85 Bears and was a teammate of his for a couple of years. And so he knew who he was. And for Frazier to come up and say, man, you really represent who he is, meant so much to me. And so to be tied to greatness in that way, um, because that's legacy stuff, that's stuff that's changing people's lives, um, whether you know it or not, on a, on a significant basis. And so it's really cool to be tied to a legacy that is so great and that has changed and impacted so many people's lives. Absolutely, and Lorenzo Alexander has done a great job in the community. We're going to talk about that. Take a quick time out. I want to come back. I want to find out about the Bills Mafia, and I want to find out. Uh, many people, me including, uh, think this guy would be great in the booth 
on uh, one of those top uh, sports channels calling games. Is that in the future? Maybe coaching? Uh, we'll ask him all that and more as the Sports King rolls on this Tuesday morning. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Hi, this is former Virginia Tech defense coordinator Bud Foster, and you're listening to a Sports King, Jamie King on Sports 106.1. Hi, sports fans. It's the Sports King for the podiatry center of renowned foot doctor, Dr. Paul Ross. Dr. Ross is an expert who develops individual game plans for the sole purpose of getting his patients back to 100% as quickly as possible. In my case, I wore soft casts, hard casts. I was in pain and I saw no relief. That is, until Dr. Ross came to the rescue. He restored my foot to the way it was originally, and he gave me the quality of life I so desperately wanted to return to. He can do the same for you. He has state-of-the-art techniques and strategies to ensure your pain and issues become a thing of the past. If you've tried the rest, do yourself a favor and now try the best. Call today. Two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. You're listening to a man whose future is so bright, he's got to wear shades. The Sports King on Sports 1061. you back this Tuesday morning, the day after Memorial Day. Hope you guys had a great weekend honoring all of those that fought the wars and served and are still serving today. We tip our cap to you always and thank you. We can't do what we do without you doing what you've done in the past and what you do currently. We thank you so much. And a guy that's been such a great part of his community, we welcome back Lorenzo Alexander, of course, the outstanding former linebacker, now the Buffalo Bills formerly the Redskins and many other teams as well. He rejoins us now. And Lorenzo, let's talk about Buffalo, uh, the Pagulas. Uh, I've heard such great things about uh, Terry and Kim Pagula from a standpoint of ownership. What do they mean to you as a player and as a person? Um, you know what? It, 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 it's, it's crazy how, how your career, if you play long enough in, your, in this league, how relationships change over time. And as you get older and become a man and solidified, you the, the relationship, especially with ownership, is much different, especially with me being an NFLPA member. And so it's really been cool, and, and I think they do a great job of just knowing the people that work for their organization. And so um, – and what I mean by that is that from the Sean McDermott in our organization all the way down to the person that works in the mailroom, um, they are very uh, engaging – and um, I think just respect people for being people, no matter what they necessarily can do for them. And so that was one of the coolest things I got to witness when I was there as far as just knowing practice squad guys' names, coming up and shaking people's hands and, and making it um, and a family atmosphere around the building. Um, you know, Kevin and, and Terry would bring their um, kids up there all the time. Um, their dogs up there all the time. And that wasn't just a privilege that they allowed themselves to have. They allowed players to do the same thing. And so I can remember countless times taking my, my kids up there, having breakfast, which really made it a cool experience having kids at that stage in my life where they could be a part of, you know, daddy's job and not have to be compartmentalized to only coming up there when daddy's playing games. They were actually felt a part of the, like the organization and the same for my wife. And so, 
that's what was really cool. And then I would also I would love to highlight this, you know, during um, the social justice protest, uh, I think happened in, I think it was 2017 now, you know, obviously a lot of teams um, were calling meetings the night before. I think it might have been like our second or third game or second or third week. Um, they were very receptive to that. And we had an opportunity as a leadership group. Um, I think uh, Mike Tobert was a part of it as well. Um, a fullback that played for Carolina and played for us for one year to really challenge them in different ways is probably is even making our organization more diverse outside of the football team. And, and they really took heed to that. And, and over the, the, the last really three years after that occurred, you could really see them making an effort of creating a, a diverse environment and bringing people in uh, from different walks of life, um, different backgrounds that really, I think, added to um, the organization in more ways than people really realized. And so that was a really cool um, thing because, you know, most people, when you own a team, you're going to do things the way you want to. You're not going to reach out to players and, and see how you can improve. You know, I think money oftentimes clouds you and and um, blocks you almost in some ways if you make a significant amount of money. Um, it, you almost seem like you're not – it takes your, your – I don't even know how to say it. Um, dehumanize you in some ways because you don't relate right. to people well. But I think they were able to overcome that because they just, they're just good people. And so it was really cool to kind of be around that environment and be around them. Got to say this is a first for me. While I'm talking to you, out of the corner of my eye, of course, the NFL Network has the uh, game – uh, the playoff game with you and the Texans, you're all over the field. So this is kind of surreal talking to you, watching you going crazy <laughs> out here with this Bills team. Let me ask you about the, the Bills Mafia. What do those fans mean to you? I mean, they are rabid fans, and they love you so much, and they definitely don't want you to leave. Uh, what did that mean to yeah. you in terms of a fan experience? Man, they, I mean, they're such great people. And, um uh... I know. I think they highlight the, the craziness and jumping off the tables and the catch up and, and the, the tailgating parties and just acting crazy, which is, is, a, is a, a part of Bill's Mafia. Um, but they're so dynamic. I, and I don't think that's just the only um, aspect of, of who they are. I mean, this is some really good people that are uh, showing up with the kids, family, uh, cheering our, our teams on, very passionate. And I think more so for what they do in, in, in obviously, New Era Stadium. Um, or traveling to almost every single game last year, they almost made most games feel like home games. Um, I think the way they uh, support the team and especially one another away from football uh, was really cool. And just so from a family aspect, you know, having I have four kids, my oldest daughter's in college, but having our three youngest ones growing up in that environment where they got to really be in a community where people cared about one another, got to know one another. And so, as I mentioned earlier, there were a lot of people that became um, really close friends. Um, you know, I think about uh, Patty and Mary, you know, we, they're the Bill's Mafia sisters. Um, and, you know, doing community events with them, help, helping them raise awareness around cancer, uh, people coming out to support my organization, trying to figure out different ways where maybe they can donate or provide some type of in-kind service, uh, just to really impact uh, people that are in need in, in the Buffalo community. And so, um, you know, that's what I remember in, in those relationships that we're able to establish and people that I'll, you know, be friends with and communicate with um, for the rest of my life. So the Buffalo Bills and our special guest, Lorenzo Alexander, who basically just – 
uh, left this past year. This is his first year in retirement, and I know this team is on the upswing. You look at Tremaine Edwins, uh, Ed, Edmonds from Virginia Tech, outstanding linebacker Jerry Hughes. This Bills team, I think, is right there on the cusp of uh, breaking through and potentially winning a Super Bowl. How close, in your yeah. opinion, is this Bills team overall? I think they're right there. Um, last year, we obviously got hot, uh, but we had a, a young team that wasn't ready, quite ready for the playoff experience. It, it is definitely a, a, a uptick, and some of that is because that's pressure that you put on yourself, and when you have young guys that haven't experienced that yet, aren't quite um, aware of that feeling, and so that's why you end up losing a close game like we did um, last year. And so with that added experience, uh, this team is ready. Uh, I think uh, Brandon Deshaun has done a great job of uh, in free agency and in the draft and adding pieces that's going to help and, and add to the offense especially and then showing up some, some, some spots in defense as far as creating some more depth there. And uh, with leadership that they, they've established, you know, people always talk about Kyle and me not being there, but I tell people while we were there, you're not, you're not just leading the team, you're also trying to build build players. And if you haven't done that, you haven't completely done your job well. And so, um, you know, I think you mentioned Tremaine Edmonds. I think about a Matt Milano, two linebackers in my room. I think about a, a Jordan, Jordan Poyer, uh, a Jerry Hughes, a Micah Hyde from the defensive perspective. Josh Allen taking some steps. Cole Beasley, John Smoke. So it's, it's, there's a, a lot of guys that can take over that leadership role and lead from the front. Lee Smith being another veteran that's been there. Steve Hodgka. So they have guys in place. The only issue that I see um, is going to be the injury bug, things you can't control, you know, adversity that may come up, somebody sick this week, somebody struggling with something off the field, are they able to focus uh, for the game? And so those are the, the things that you really don't know because they come up sporadically throughout a season. Um, and then how do they overcome that? But I think Sean has set up a great environment and um, foundation to get through those moments when they happen as best as they can. And so I am very hopeful that they'll be in the AFC championship. You know, people are saying, oh, they should win the, the, the NFC East. Tom Brady's no longer there. Or the AFC East, Tom Brady's is there. Uh, they should overtake the Patriots. Well, if that's what they're shooting for, they're, 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 they're cutting themselves short. Um, their mentality needs to be playing for getting into the AFC championship game to play for a Super Bowl because they have the talent, they have the culture, um, and they have, the, the I think, the continuity um, – to give them the opportunity to, to achieve that. Yeah, I really felt when you left that team, uh, I mean, you handed the baton off to some great young players, and I think they're definitely ready for the next step. But what a loss for you in that community and, of course, on the field as well, the great things you did for Buffalo. Let me ask you this as you transition, and so many athletes uh, play at such a high level like yourself. Uh, I've talked to so many, and they say that transition into the private life sometimes not always easy. But for you, you're an eloquent speaker, you're a smart guy on the football field, off the football field, great community member. When you look at all that you bring, I think the transition to the booth for you, and I've seen you on NFL Network and all the different channels, and it seems like you're getting asked to do more and more on a broadcasting front. Is a transition into a booth uh, your next step? Is that something you're thinking about now? Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Um you know, for me, the transition, I think, has been, you know, obviously I haven't really missed anything yet in our season or anything, and so I don't, I can't really speak to that mental aspect once I have to endure that. 
but fortunately, I was able to walk away um, on my own accord, and I don't think most people had that opportunity. Normally, you, you're told that you're not good enough, you cough too much, or you get injured, <laughs> things that, you know, really make up your mind for you. And so I've been fortunate enough to kind of be at peace with it because it's really been a four-year process. And I've also, you know, throughout my career, I have matured to the point to where I have been intentional about not wrapping myself up completely in the game of football because at some point it had to end. And so uh, to tie myself uh, fundamentally, I, as far as identifying myself, who I am, and something that's, that was going to end no matter what I did would be, um, you know, in my eyes, is very foolish and short-sighted and, and and stupid because we've seen I have so many people to walk before me to do it and, and try not to make that same mistake. And so fortunately I've had people around me that kind of help me do that. And so even from even if I wasn't going to do anything after football, um, I would transition well because my identity is, is in Christ, and that's something that's eternal. And so I, I stand on a better footing um, than some guys that come out of the league but as I transition to get myself purpose, it's really going to be mostly going to be mentoring and really impacting young men. So, you know, coaching high school football, coaching youth sports with my kids, um, you know, maybe working with player development on the NFL side and college side and just really try to help young men become more impactful early in their career. Because a lot of guys are, you know, they say they're grown men, but they still have a lot of boyish tendencies uh, about the way they go about doing life. And so, as a guy that was poured into from a lot of great guys, I want to try to be that 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 new voice in some younger guys' lives to help them. And I think the broadcasting point, I'm good at that. I enjoy doing that. That only adds to the platform to, to be able to gather resources and relationships, much like the NFL uh, was able to do. And so, yeah, I would do that, but it will be more out of how can I continue to serve the community and young men with this platform of, be able to talk about football now, now, now that I'm no longer playing the game. Our special guest, Lorenzo Alexander, the outstanding former linebacker of the Redskins, Bills, among others. Uh, coaching, is that something that uh, you thought about, or is that just uh, not in the cards going forward? Yeah, on the NFL level, I don't know if I'm quite there yet. Um, just because of the amount of time, I don't think people realize the amount of time that coaches – put in versus players is, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, and I think sometimes coaches work too much and it's unproductive depending on who your head coach is and, and what their mindset is. Sean and some, some young coaches do a pretty good job of putting an emphasis on family or at the very minimum, including them to where you, they're allowed to come up and you can actually be a husband and be a father. Um, because I know a ton of coaches that show up at 5 a.m. in the morning and leave at, maybe 11 p.m., but they finished their work probably at 7 p.m., but because the head man hadn't left, they got to feel like they have to stay stay at the <laughs> workplace. And so hopefully with, um, you know, one of the, the good things that come out of the pandemic and being forced to work from home and work through Zoom and other avenues and still get your work done, um, some of that culture will change to where, yeah, yeah, fellas, we don't really need to come to the office, man. Just jump on a Zoom call be on that vacation with your family, be at that game so you have time to do life with your family. And so if, if that ever changes, um, I'm not going to say, say I'm never going to get into coaching. Obviously, I'm not going to do it right now because of my young kids. But down the line, if, that, if that's a new culture, the new normal, um, I would definitely be open to maybe coaching at the NFL level um, at that time. 
Let's talk about in our final uh, moments with Lorenzo Alexander. He has a foundation called the ACES Foundation. And, man, you've been about the community. You've done so many things here in Washington and everywhere you've been. Talk about the ACES Foundation and giving back to the community by offering youth an opportunity to make their dreams come true. This really means so much to you and your family. Please uh, discuss the ACES Foundation. Yeah, you know, I started in 2008 with my wife, my mom, my aunt, um, and it really was birthed out of – the people that served me coming up. You know, I grew up in a uh, inner city, Oakland, gang violence, you know, in the 80s, 90s, you know, really on the heels of the crack epidemic and gang violence was at its highest peak. And so I had so many people wrap their arms around me from uh, my Uncle Steve, who really filled the gaps for my father, who I now have a great relationship with, um, coaches, teachers um, that really helped me stay on, on a path of, of success. Um, and not really the NFL, but just being successful, being able to remove myself from that, that situation, um, you know, through school, sports, and obviously eventually achieving a, a scholarship at Cal, which then allowed me to have an opportunity in the NFL and met more people along the way. And so I just felt that, um, you know, I was almost obligated in, in, in a lot of ways to, like I do now, because of what people did for me that I needed to figure out a way to create change in the next generation, whatever that may look like. And so that birthed the ACES Foundation. Accountability, community, education, and sport, which was really four pillars of my life that allowed me to be successful, um, stay focused on what I wanted to do, and, and not allow the immediate gratification that, um, that street life and, and the aspects of that can sometimes bring you um, amongst other things that, you know, we don't often think about as, as far as losing our life at a much earlier age or being incarcerated. Um, and so I wanted to be that person. I wanted to be that person like my Uncle Steve who stood in the gap uh, for my dad, you know, to maybe a, another young person in my community of Oakland. And so, you know, over the years we've had different programs, camps, uh, initiatives to really speak to that. And it's really been cool just to see um, – just a collaboration of other people in the community, whether it was in D.C., Oakland, you know, Arizona, uh, Buffalo, that really came came together uh, to make that a, a reality. Because um, I think so many kids have so much greatness um, that has been blessed to them, but they're unaware of it because there's so much distraction and noise around it, you know, chaotic life, um, things that they can't control. And so what we just try to do is come up alongside of them and their families and help them formulate a vision, what they want their life to look like, provide some uh, some real tools, um, some wisdom, some knowledge, and then walk alongside of them through that process um, be, so that they can achieve that, that, that goal for themselves. And so what I always tell people, it's not about how much money you make and cars. I don't, I, I'm not trying to mentor you so you can be the richest dude. If that, if that, if that happens, cool. Hopefully then, once you become successful, you were then trying to figure out ways of how you can serve other people um, that come from the same beginnings as yourself. And so that's what, what it's all about, as I've been saying, trying to create great human beings so that, that we can change and impact um, everybody's community, whether that's your immediate family, just being a great husband. Cause my my um, community is, is plagued by fatherless homes. And so now being an example of that, trying to teach other young men of being great fathers, whether it's, you know, just as simple as that, you can make a change um, and have a huge legacy and impact 
obviously on your family, but then that's going to expand to other people because you are a great father, a, a great role model in your community, and you raised your kids, and then they're going to go out there. And so really all it is, it comes down to discipleship and um, just trying to help people become better human beings, walking alongside of them, and then trying to repeat that generation by generation so that we can really change uh, so many, uh, I don't know, um, unnecessary things that are happening in our world because people are blinded and short-sighted, whether it's fear, hate, um, or uh, ignorance or lack of knowing that happened in our society. Lorenzo Alexander, our special guest, uh, we've got about a minute left. Folks, if you'd like to donate or, or, or find out more about this great organization, ACES Foundation, go to LorenzoAlexander.org. And uh, we got a minute left. Could you please, in our final minute, uh, offer a message of hope uh, for folks going through a very tough thing we never saw coming and we're trying to get through it day by day? What's your best advice and hope in our final yeah. minute with you? Yeah, you know, it's definitely a hard time, and I know people are worried about, you know, paying the bills, paying rent, paying food, um, you know, obviously those are things you have to worry about. And so um, I'm not going to ever tell them, well, don't worry about that, but you do try to have a perspective of hope. Um, we are going to get through this thing like we've gotten through so many other things. And I would encourage you to even maybe try to serve somebody else um, because oftentimes that gives us a different perspective. Um, maybe our situation isn't as bad as it seems. Uh, you know, and that's not necessarily giving money. I think even just reaching out to maybe an old friend, a family member that you maybe haven't talked to or somebody that you do talk to all the time and be, and be that light, be, be encouraging to them um, and try to create a, an environment of positivity um, because I think that naturally attracts opportunity to change uh, what may be currently going on in your life. And so anytime that we start looking outward to how we can impact other people, I think I would just challenge people to have, you know try to have that 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 mental aspect uh, to your day to day life and 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 be that light and encouragement to other people right now. My friend, uh, you've been doing it a long time. You've been a great community member, a great teammate, uh, one of the great players. And I felt playing your best football when you walked away. And uh, keep doing what you're doing in your community. You are a definite light and somebody that has been a leader in everything you've done. We can't thank you for joining us this morning. We hope to have you back many more times and keep us up to date on everything going on with you and your career moving forward. I appreciate you. You got a Lorenzo Alexander, our special guest, going to take a time out. It's the Tuesday edition of the Sports King. We'll be right back after these messages. Hi, this is number 26, former Redskin defensive back and Super Bowl champion Danny Copeland. You're listening to my main man, Jamie King, on Sports King Show on Sports 106.1. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hail to the Redskins. Looking for a top-tier university that is affordable? Coastal Carolina University offers more than 100 undergraduate and graduate programs designed to help you earn your degree. Visit coastal.edu and learn more about the coastal commitment to student learning and student-led research. Coastal Carolina University is consistently ranked as a top best value university in the South. Visit coastal.edu to learn more and schedule your campus tour. 
Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, GM at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's no secret that we are in uncharted waters, but that doesn't mean we should be afraid because we are doing everything we can to keep our dealership clean and offering delivery services to minimize exposure. We've also opened a helpline for assistance of any kind, including grocery or medication pickup. Please call our CMA helpline at 434-220-8885. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com to learn more. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. Let's get back to the guy who said, where there's a will, there's a relative. Oh, you're listening to Sports King right here on Sports 1061. And welcome back, everyone. Tuesday edition of the Sports King Show. First for me, watching a replay of the AFC game in the playoffs between the Buffalo Bills, who are currently leading 19-0 in this game in the third quarter against the Texans, Lorenzo Alexander, uh, who played very well in this game, while talking to Lorenzo Alexander, who is our special guest in Hour 1. Uh, surreal. That'd be a good word there. Anyway, uh, Ben Maitland, my outstanding producer, just handed me a note. The governor of New Jersey is the latest public official to get behind the return of pro sports. Governor Phil Murphy said today that he is in favor of pro sports teams in his state, including the G-Men and the J-E-T-S Jets, 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 having their training camps and games as long as they follow health protocols. This is a big one because if it's going to happen in that New York, New Jersey area where it's been the epicenter, this is a good sign. Uh, professional sports teams in New Jersey may return to training and even competition if their leagues choose to move in that direction, Murphy wrote on Twitter. We have been in constant discussions with teams about necessary protocols to protect the health and safety of players, coaches, and personnel. States are increasingly moving in the direction of reopening businesses, including pro sports. Much can change in the coming months, but at the moment, the situation appears to be trending in the right direction for football to return as scheduled in September. How about that? That's some good news. Let's hope it holds up. Just have to be smart, folks. Uh, you know, everybody's trying to do the right thing for the most part. Uh, we got some folks out there that uh, evidently don't think things are happening, but uh, some people feel they're going to fight it no matter what and not going to give in to it. And other people are following the guidelines, and we thank you for doing that because it affects everyone. We're all in this together. So that is some good news. Ben uh, Maitland just handed off to me. And of course, the governor of New Jersey is trying to move in the right direction, saying that this is something that, uh, you know, could be a major positive in the fact that the G-Men and the Jets could be back at it fairly soon. So we're going to keep an eye on that one. We did find out a note I saw this morning, a fan-free season this year. If it were to happen, we certainly hope it's not the case. But if the NFL plays a season without fans in the stands, it's a given the NFL is going to lose money. How much? Mike Ozanian of Forbes.com estimated that the loss could be $5.5 billion, with a B, dollars. That's the sum of lost ticket revenues, concessions, parking, and merchandise sales. If all games are played without fans, it would amount to 38% of the league's total revenue. 38%, wow, based on the 2018 number. The absence of fans would hit some teams harder than, harder than others, explained by Ozanian. The Cowboys Patriots would lose more than half of their total revenue. Other teams like the Buffalo Bills, the Titans, and the Bengals would lose less than a third. It's unclear whether and to what extent games will be played without fans. It's possible that some states will allow stadiums to open and others won't. It's also possible that medical advances in the coming weeks and months, such as a greater understanding of what it means to test positive, will make it easier to open stadiums and invite fans at 
low or no risk for developing the COVID-19. Any money lost in 2020 will potentially affect the 2021 salary cap, as recently explained. However, the league and the union set the annual spending limit via negotiation, and it's possible that the two sides will agree to, for example, borrow against future salary caps in order to keep the 2021 cap at or near where it otherwise would have been. Whether the revenue actually drops remains to be seen, and it will be determined by plenty of factors beyond the control of the league. So some really good news from the New Jersey governor, some not-so-good news on this Forbes article, uh, a $5.5 billion loss. You wonder if a league can sustain itself. And we talked about Major League Baseball. The players want to be paid everything. They don't want to give anything. I just don't see, and I had people asking me over the weekend, how any league can sustain itself when you have no money coming through the gate. Uh, and if you're a player and you want to say, hey, man, I'm not going to play if I don't get all my money. But uh, from an ownership standpoint, yes, there is risk in ownership. We know that. And they're getting TV money. But at the same time, you can't you know, get blood from a turnip. If there's no money there to pay, you've got to look at it from a standpoint of extenuating circumstances and try to negotiate something to where it's going to be fair for both sides. I'm not saying that owners don't, deserve to give some up and i'm not saying players should give a ton up but there has to be a happy medium on all sides but when you've got guys like uh, blake snell coming out with tampa bay saying hey if i don't get all mine i'm not playing baseball well guess what you turn fans off i've heard from more fans saying that i don't even watch this guy because of the fact he took that kind of stance it's okay to say that behind the scenes say it to your family that's fine but when you come out and publicly say that, you're almost saying for the whole organization, and that's not a good look. And baseball fans right now across America, across the world, just want to tune in after working that double shift or working at the hospital and say, you know what, I want to go home watch my favorite baseball team and have a beverage, a hot dog, and watch and smile for a little bit because maybe I'm a frontline worker. I'm doing things that are unbearable, and I want a little bit of a release. But Blake Snell's not getting his, so... Why should I be able to watch baseball? Because he's not getting all of his millions. Forget the fact nobody's coming through the gate, but he deserves all of his millions. I mean, just has it way wrong. It's got to be some uh, fairness and equity on both sides, and right now it's not. Anyway, coming up, hour two, we're going to go into the match. We're going to talk about Tiger and Phil and Tom and Peyton and all the things that happened there. Ben has some cuts there. We're going to talk about an NBA player that has made a major tip that he gave to a waitress. I can't wait to tell you this great story. We got a lot more coming your way. Hour two starts next on the Sports King. Hi, this is Tuck Hamilton, head coach and general manager of your DC Defenders. You are listening to the Sports King Show with Jamie King on Sports 1061. Go Defenders. With 19 NCAA Division I sports and 84 majors, Coastal Carolina University affords student-athletes the competition and learning they crave. From FBS football to ladies volleyball, from championship baseball to ladies lacrosse, from business to theater arts, Coastal Carolina University offers a depth of learning both on the field and in the classroom. Eager ambition is a hallmark of students and faculty at Coastal Carolina University. Schedule a tour and learn more at coastal.edu. 
Hi, it's the Sports King, Jamie King, and I'm here to offer you truly life-changing advice. If you or someone you know suffers from foot pain, don't delay. Take immediate action and visit the podiatry centers of Dr. Paul Ross with two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. I know firsthand he changed my life and totally restored my foot. He will do the same for you. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's no secret that we're in uncharted waters, but that doesn't mean we should be afraid. Because now is an opportunity to do something heroic. We realize that this is the time to organize a blood drive, help our elderly neighbors with groceries, and assist local nonprofits. And that's exactly what CMA's Colonial Honda is doing. In fact, we set up a helpline to assist people in our community in any way that we can. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance, you can reach our CMA helpline at 434-220-8885. Again, our CMA helpline is 434-220-8885. And of course, if you're in need of any automotive help, we are taking extra precautions to keep our dealership clean. To learn more, visit CMAscolonialHonda.com. We applaud you for helping one another during this time. You have inspired us to do the same. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. Want to reach the Sports King? Call 804-327-0888. That's 804-327-0888. Learn it. Know it. Live it. And we begin hour two on the Sports King Show alongside Ben Malin. I'm the Sports King, Jamie King, watching a replay of this Houston, Texas Buffalo Bills playoff game. Lorenzo Alexander, our special guest in hour one, all over the field talking to him while he's there. It's just kind of uh, enjoyable to see him and talk to him while he's playing and trying to get to the quarterback, Deshaun Watson. Of course, right now the Bills, and this one down 13 nothing. Doesn't get much better for them there. I uh, want to let you know, as far as the NFL, some things that we're looking at. The Rooney Rule, I've gone on record talking about this as far as uh, the hiring of minorities. There's been all kinds of speculation as to what's going to happen. What's your take on this? 804-327-0888 is the number. 804-327-0888 is the number. And when you look at this from a lot of different aspects, uh, Executive VP of Football Operations, Troy Vincent, separately uh, talked to the league and mentioned the fact about the best way to proceed. He said there's no rush to do it. Uh, Coach Tony Dungy said we need to do it right and people should not be paying to do the right thing. I agree a thousand percent. Uh, Vincent's remarks bolster the sense that specific draft pick enhancement for hiring a minority coach or general manager has been or likely will be abandoned that any effort to make draft pick currency uh, available under the Rooney rule will reflect compensation for teams that develop minority coaches and lose them to other teams, either as head coaching hires or in other capacities. Um, when pressed by Jared Bell of USA Today to reconcile awarding teams for boosting diversity with creating an unfair advantage, Goodell, Roger Goodell, mentioned only the competitive consequences of losing a coach. We want teams to be investing in the futures of other coaches so they can move on, Goodell said. When you lose a coach, there's a competitive issue there. So the whole issue about compensation in terms of, hey, if you hire a minority uh, we're going to give you a draft pick or a higher pick or whatever. I mean, I just think it's bogus. I think you need to hire 
the gentleman or the lady based on their ability level and uh, not a quota level. It should be done for a fair, equitable aspect. It hasn't been this thus far. They need to come up with a better way to do it other than trying to say, well, we're not going to give you a high draft pick. Just my take on this, but they need to do it better and put more thought into this to make sure it's fair and equitable across the board. So just my take there. Uh, we do want to turn our attention. If you'd like to chime in, give us a call 804-327-0888. Sports of all sorts, anything you'd like to talk about. We want to talk about now about the match featuring Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson with Peyton Manning and uh, Tom Brady. It was very interesting. Uh, I always felt I wanted to compare myself with Tom Brady, and now I can in terms of golfing because what he did uh, golfing as far as his drives made me feel really good, like I've got a future in the game. Uh, just awful at times. But there was some uh, flashes of brilliance as well. Tom Brady's an athlete, folks. Uh, let's face it, he can do it all and um, didn't play his best golf. I know I've seen and uh, heard that he's played a lot better than that. I know the pressure of the moment playing against uh, two icons and a guy that he competed against at the NFL level who's a better golfer than he is. He had a lot of pressure on him in this one. But we're going to play you some cuts. Uh, the first one is uh, Tom Brady, who things were going really bad for. Well, uh, Brooks Kepka, a golfer, posted on his Twitter that he would give a $100,000 donation to the COVID Relief Foundation if Brady were to par in the first nine holes and things were getting very gloomy, it didn't look like anything was happening. And then this happened. Hey, Tom, how many shots you want? This Chuck. Come on, man. I'm going to give you some shots, man. I want All some right. of you. Gotta get going. Chuck, I've been focusing on football, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to win a Super Bowl. He's ready to dominate. I think you just made him mad, Chuck. Oh, no. I love it, though, man. He, he can take a joke. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, go in! Yeah. Oh, my goodness! Oh, you made it! <laughs> wow! Chuck. Chuck. Hey, man. Chuck. I got that's Chuck. all food. Shut your mouth, oh, Chuck. Real. Take a little of that medicine. Get your butt out of here. When the going get tough, the tough get going, boys. When the going get tough, the tough get going. And it was Tom Brady holding it out from the fairway. And uh, some real big smack talk. Let's go to that now. Here's the smack talk back and forth. Charles Barkley and the GOAT, Tom Brady. Hey, Tom, it's Chuck. Chuck. I'm a, I'm, if you hit the green, I'm going to give $25,000 out of my own pocket. Chuck, you're amazing. Chuck, Chuck you saved yourself $50,000. Uh, you know, Tom, that was, uh, I should have just said, if you can just keep it on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when's football season start? Uh, so when's football season start for Tampa Bay is Tom Brady was hacking it all around. Made me feel good about my golf game. Uh, I felt like, wow, I've always wanted to play like an NFL player on the golf course. And now I feel like I can. It really uh, was a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. Phil and Tiger got into it a little bit during the uh, uh, driving portion on the uh, practice uh, area. And here is Phil talking to Tiger about his calves. I want to thank Neil, everybody at Workday, for being a part of that. Tiger, this yep. drives for another million five. Got it. 
a million five for Phil Mickelson to hit bombs. That's oh. what you do anyway, <laughs> Phil, right? Yeah, well, I, I had the coffee. I got to activate the calves, and I got to step on one here. <laughs> Come on, baby. Man does have some calves. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is where I have to listen to it every time we play. So Tiger is saying it's what I have to listen to every time I play. If you didn't see it, or if you did, you saw Phil Mickelson on the tee. Now, this is the power of the celebrity of golf. Before he teed off, he got his phone rang, and it basically said um, he was reading the text after the call came through, and uh, a gentleman that he knows offered $1.5 million and said, hey, if you outdrive Tiger on this particular drive, I'll add another million and a half dollars. It's good to have friends like that, I say. And, uh, of course, Tiger won that particular drive and $1.5 million more into the kitty there. Just amazing. But and we're going to close this segment out on this trash talk. Here's Charles Barkley with some more trash talk. One guy shouldn't be talking at all about golf and trash talk, Charles Barkley, but here he is around mound to rebound talking golf. Hey, Tom, how many shots you want? This Chuck. Chuck. Come on, man. I'm going to give you some shots, man. I want some of you. Chuck, I've been focusing on football, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to win a Super Bowl. He's ready to dominate. Don't turn on. Don't worry. It ain't over yet. Unbelievable. Anyway, Charles Barkley talking smack in the golf game to Tom Brady saying he wanted Tom Brady. Now, that might be a good uh, a good golf match to watch as well. But the winner of this was the folks out there in need of support. $20 million was raised for COVID relief. And so hats off to these guys who had a lot of fun doing this. And the rains came hard early on. We didn't know if this match was even going to get played. But I will say this. Think about the power of these four gentlemen, Tiger and Phil and Peyton and Tom Brady. This was the most watched golf uh, event like this in history. I mean, the greatest amount of eyes watched this. And, of course, everybody's home for the most part. So uh, they tuned in out of uh, just pure wonder how it was going to break down, how these guys were going to compete. And it came down to uh, the last hole, and Tiger and Peyton won. But it was a close match. But, uh, you know, if uh, Brady would have played a little bit better, it could have been even uh, closer or maybe even a uh, win for Mickelson and company. But uh, just great back and forth. And it's great to see Tiger and Phil, who had a frosty relationship early in their careers, coming together and doing some great things. Two great ambassadors for the game. And to see those guys cutting up. And, um, of course, Tiger, they were talking about Phil, talking about his calves, saying this is what I have to listen to every time I play with this guy. But uh, a lot of good-natured uh, uh, back and forth there. And, of course, Charles Barkley, uh, who has the worst golf swing in history, maybe of golf, uh, giving guys hard times about their games. I found that to be kind of uh, funny uh, in general. So uh, a great Shut your mouth, Chuck. <laughs> Shut your mouth, Chuck. I love it. And um, Chuck was just a bit outside most of the day in terms of uh, all the things he was saying. Because just a bit outside. Exactly. He, yeah. He uh, actually had a chance at the very end. Uh, they showed highlights of Chuck. He was going to get so much money, I think 400000 for a birdie, 300000 for a par, 200000 uh 
for a bogey, and he ended up uh, with a bogey. I think he ended up with one or two hundred. I'm not sure on that, but uh, a situation where he actually hit the ball fairly well, a lot better than he has in the past. So Charles Barkley's golf game is improving. I can't believe I said that in an actual sentence, but it is. So Charles Barkley getting better, not uh, ready for the PGA Tour, and will never be. He just is not that good a golfer, but he likes to have fun at it nonetheless. So we want to talk about uh, that. If you'd like to talk further about that, give us a call 804-327-0888. Ben, I want to strike up the applause for this young man. And I want to, I saw this best thing I saw this weekend, Cleveland Cavaliers, big man, Andre Drummond. Well, folks, he was feeling generous this weekend, visiting a South Florida restaurant. Check this out. And this is starting to happen more and more. And I applaud you all the athletes doing this, and this is uh, for Andre Drummond. Uh, he went to a restaurant called Che Restaurant in Delray Beach, Florida over the weekend. Cassandra Diaz, uh, who was the waitress waiting on him, uh, talked about this. Uh, when she got the check, uh, she went to put in the tip and the information to close the table out. She could not believe what she saw. Uh, from a $164.25 check, the tip read $1,000. $1,000. So, Andre Drummond, thank you. Uh, she had uh, tears of happiness. She was shaking. Uh, restaurants in Palm Beach County can host guests at 50% capacity, but according to Diaz, business at Che has remained slow, making Drummond's tip all the more appreciated. And uh, Drummond was talking about the fact that, uh, you know, he wanted to help out and he basically – he said, I had no, hot, no idea how to react. Uh, she went on to say that she didn't want to draw attention at the same time. I couldn't describe the amount of appreciation I have. Drummond led the league in rebounding three of the last four seasons, sit atop of the list for the suspended 2019-20 season. Uh, former NFL wide receiver Chad Ochocinco also dropped a $1,000 tip on a $37 bill at a different Florida restaurant. Drummond, who, as we just mentioned, uh, has been an all-star doing great things, $27 million contract, but guess what? He reached down to help somebody out a $1,000 tip, and man, hats off to you. And anybody in those positions doing these type of things, it means the world because these folks are really struggling. That restaurant is not even close to capacity, and to get a tip like that is a life changer for that young lady. And we congratulate Andre Drummond for doing the right thing and helping out where help is needed. So we want to let you know, that the NBA is looking to get back in action. So speaking of the NBA, uh, it's a situation where, uh, according to Ramona Shelbourne, uh, the NBA has had discussions and they're looking at ways to try to get it back together. The most uh, discussed lately is the fact that the NBA is looking towards uh, wanting to play in Disneyland. Uh it says uh, basically in a team-by-team virtual call with players this week, National Basketball Association Director Michelle Roberts said that the overwhelming sentiment has been that they really want to play being the NBA players. They want to resume the 2019-20 NBA season. Most likely would take place in July at Disney's ESPN Wild World of Sports Complex in Orlando, Florida. I've been there. Great complex. It's got a ton of spacing Nobody would be on top of each other in terms of worrying about, uh, you know, uh, too close proximity. Teams would have the ability to be actually there in some of the uh, hotel areas and then just go right 
they could probably take a tram and go right to each location right there within its own facility. So it'd be kind of the bubble effect. You keep everybody in the bubble and try to keep them safe. Um, basically, Michelle Roberts said to, to ESPN, it's been uh, more than enough time. It's been two and a half months of what if my players need some level of certainty. I think everybody does. Robert said she plans to speak with all players of all 30 teams over the next week, engage her reaction to the NBA's plan for reopening, providing as many details as possible about how the league will seek to migrate the risk, uh, excuse me, mitigate the risk of contracting coronavirus first at training camps and then at the 228 acre resort in Orlando. So you got 228 acres, all these NFL teams, and now you got to get them there, make sure everybody's checked out, screened well. Keep them there. Make sure the food's all protected. The food workers are protected. Make sure it's very much bubble effect there. And make sure we can get these teams shuttled in, shuttled out. So that's going to be the challenge. Uh, so we're looking at that. Of course, Major League Baseball, we're wondering about that. But these players at the NBA level are trying to finish the season and try to make a run at an abbreviated season so somebody can win an NBA world title. So it's just interesting to see how it would go down. But I know they're looking at trying to get them housed together and just do a round-robin event where they're going to play this team versus this team, and it'll be a lot of preparation going into it. But uh, Disney would be the best location right now. If they don't go to Arizona, it will be uh, Disney in terms of trying to get all these teams together to play in an area that's going to be suitable for everybody, no fans, of course. Oh, Uh, boy, I'm back in business. Yeah, exactly. Back in business, indeed. NFL Executive uh, Vice President Troy Vinson uh, is talking about the NFL pass interference rule, and it has been bad. Uh, I don't know if you saw the disparity last year. It was just awful. Uh, you'd have one uh, inter- one play on a defensive secondary. You'd be like, man, that's P.I. all day long. Why don't they call it? Next week, they might call it. And you just from week to week, there's no real uh, – accuracy in the calls they were just bad and when you saw something blatant you're like if that doesn't describe or uh that that doesn't encompass what a pi is there shouldn't be pi but yet they wouldn't call it so why have a rule if you're not going to call it so vincent's comments uh, came during a, a broader discussion of the sky judge proposal the addition of a booth umpire to each officiating crew a modified version which is set to be voted on during this Thursday's NFL video conference meeting. We cannot fail this year, Vincent said to NBC. We saw a year ago when the pass interference rule played out, starting with myself, that we put in place last year. Those outcomes were not good for professional football because we did not do the proper due diligence. It played out publicly. The last thing people should be talking about is the way the game is officiated. The officials should be faceless objects managing and facilitating the game flow. He went on to say, we have failed. I'm first in line. I shared that with legal officials. I failed as leader of that department. I failed. We cannot allow that to happen again. What did we learn from that? We've got to do our due diligence. You can't rush and just shove something in without knowing all the consequences. And we found out last year, live uh, live and in action publicly. We didn't do our due diligence and we failed miserably. Well, hey, I give hats off to uh, Vincent, who is uh, being looked at as a possible successor to Roger Goodell. Troy Vincent is a guy that will probably be your next NFL commissioner. For him standing up and taking blame, I love it. He's being accountable. A lot of those guys want to pass a buck, but he basically said, this is on me and we're going to make it better. Now, 
Vincent brings the fact that he's been a defensive back, so he knows what it's like back there, and he knows what it's like when there's infighting and how to get it right or how to get it wrong. Uh, when you looked at the rule last year, it proved very inconsistent. The NFL overturned only, think about this, 13 out of 81 pass interference calls uh, were changed during the 2019 regular season. Both uh, reviews resulted in reversal in 11 of 20 instances. The rule was passed on a one-year experimental basis. And I'm with Vincent. If you do it, do it right. Don't do it incomplete. It seemed like the guys up in the booth were going to let people get mugged and not say anything. It seemed in some cases, some guys would be, okay, yeah, throw the flag. Others would be like, I don't want to. I don't want to affect the outcome of the game. Just I'll be up here collecting a paycheck. I'm not going to make a call. But the part of the deal is there has to be accountability. And Vincent is taking that, saying, if we're going to do the rule, let's do it right. Let's make sure that we have guys here that are going to do it right. And right now it's just a, a complete, complete uh, poor job all the way around. But at least you've got a guy in Vincent taking um, and taking the reins and trying to make this better. So that's a situation we're going to keep our eye on, but very disappointing from an NFL standpoint how bad it was last year in terms of uh, just being fair week in, week out. And I know if you're like me, you would sit there and say, man, why did they not make that call or why did they make that call or what is this rule about? If you're not going to make the call, why even have it? I mean, they talked about, hey, we got this big brand new pass interference rule, but they never called it the way they should. We're going to take a time out. We'd love to hear from you on the Tuesday edition right after Memorial Day of the Sports King. Don't forget Big Al starts us off every morning 8 to 10. We follow him at 10 to 12. We're all live. And then on to the jungle in Jim Rome in Los Angeles. We're going to come right back. We've got a lot more show for you in the last half hour of the Sports King. Don't touch it. Dial will be right back. Hi, this is Cup of Virginia native Keith, Mr. Jennings. Formerly of the Golden State Warriors. And you are listening to a man who can shoot the three almost as good as me. It's the Sports King, Jamie King, on Sports 106.1. Hi, it's the Sports King, Jamie King, and I'm here to offer you truly life-changing advice. If you or someone you know suffers from foot pain, don't delay. Take immediate action and visit the podiatry centers of Dr. Paul Ross with two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. I know firsthand he changed my life and totally restored my foot. He will do the same for you. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. You're listening to a man whose yoga instructor asked him how flexible he was. And he replied that he couldn't do Tuesdays. It's the Sports King on Sports 106.1. And welcome back. Tuesday edition of Sports King heading into the final half hour. And it was Kyle Busch. Passing Austin Cindric in overtime to win the Xfinity race at Charlotte. My producer, Ben Maitland, a major NASCAR fan, says this guy is virtually unbeatable in Xfinity. He normally celebrates victories by climbing on top of his race car and bowing to the crowd, but no fans in attendance at Charlotte Motor Speedway Monday night. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, Bush passed on the tradition after driving past Cindric on the final lap of overtime to claim his 97th career uh, Xfinity win. Ben Ben was opining moments ago that maybe he'll stop after 100. But you cannot be serious! 
after a crash involving several cars sent the race into overtime, Cedric had a great restart in overtime and overtook Bush for the lead starting from the inside lane. But Bush battled back, driving by Cedric on the back stretch of the final lap and holding on to win his 18th overall race at CMS. He went on to say, I thought choosing the outside was the right way, but obviously it wasn't. I don't know, Bush said. Those guys up front put up a whale of a fight on restarts. I guess I'm not good at it anymore. So Bush uh, getting it done. Once again, the Xfinity Series, uh, he's won 210 races overall. NASCAR's top three series the most of any driver. Uh, Daniel Hemrick edged Cindric for second. Cindric finished third, followed by Ross Chastain and Justin Al- Algier. Uh, uh, Bush appeared and uh, controlled for most of the race, winning the first two stages, but was assessed a speeding penalty on pit road with 38 laps to go, dropping him to 10th place. Bush was far from done. He battled back from the back of the field uh, with the help of a series of restarts on the six cautions of the final 45 laps. And he's got a truck race. Ben thinks he'll win that probably too. Uh, this guy is just uh, phenomenal in that Xfinity series and has done a great job there. So if you're a NASCAR fan and you're a fan of uh, Kyle Busch, you're happy. A lot of people uh, not high on him because, as Ben and I were talking, just kind of, uh, I guess, arrogant in some ways. And some people look at that uh, as it gets on their nerves a little bit. But uh, interesting, uh, uh, one of those guys, if he's your guy, you love him. If not, uh, not so enamored with him. We do want to let you know that three key crew members for Denny Hamlin's uh, crew were suspended Four races over tungsten drop before Coca-Cola 600. Uh, Monday suspended uh, three critical crew members for Denny Hamlin's team because a piece of tungsten fell off his car on the pace lap before the Coca-Cola 600. The tungsten, if you don't know, is required to meet minimum weight requirements on the car. And the NASCAR rulebook states if it is separated at any point, it's an automatic four-race suspension for the crew chief, car chief, and engineer. Uh, Chris Gabe Hart, the crew chief, was suspended through June 10th, along with car chief Brandon Griffith and engineer Scott Simmons. Joe Gibbs Racing said it would not appeal the penalty and had already had replacements for Wednesday night's race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. So a uh, very tough situation there. Of course, uh, Hamlin uh, rallied for a 29th place finish in the 40-car field. Hamlin won not only the season opening Daytona 500, but also won last Wednesday's night race at Darlington Speedway. Uh, the piece of ballast added to the car weighs 35 pounds and cost $1,877 from the supplier. It fell off the Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota before the start of Sunday's race, and Hamlin went to pit road for additional weight to be added back to the car. He didn't join the race until eight laps had been completed, so definitely got off to a very slow start there. But uh, Joe Gibbs, once again, no excuses. He took it like a man, basically said, hey, we're going to deal with it and we'll find a way back and basically uh, took their punishment and they're going to work through it. So that's the situation there. And uh, you wouldn't expect anything less than that from Joe Gibbs. So we want to let you know, of course, our top story today. We had, of course, Lorenzo Alexander, the former Buffalo Bill, former Washington Redskins. Very interesting uh, to hear him talking about it. And uh, as I mentioned to him, he probably played his best football with the as a member of the Buffalo Bills, that Bills Mafia. The defense, he feels in his discussion with us, if you missed it in hour number one, that the Bills are right there. Now with the loss of Tom Brady uh, in the situation there, you've got, uh, of course, Josh Allen, that Bills offense getting better, getting better. And now a uh, defense that's rock solid, uh, Tremaine Edmonds and Jerry Hughes, 
they are on the cusp, in my opinion, if things break the right way. The only problem with Buffalo right now is you've got on the AFC side, you got the Chiefs and you got the Ravens, you've got a tall order. And it's just sad in a way because you finally get through New England potentially. If you get past them without Brady, then you've got red hot Kansas City, red hot Baltimore, who are just playing lights out football. So very tough murderers row, if you will. I'd much rather be on the NFC side than the AFC side in terms of uh, you know trying to get to a Super Bowl because it is going to be tough sledding indeed. If you're trying to get through Kansas City and Baltimore, the two teams really at the top of the food chain in terms of the NFL. So, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. And we think the NFL season is going to happen. If you listen to Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, he said it will definitely, quote, definitely, unquote, happen. Um, The Miami Dolphins owner is optimistic that the 2020 NFL season will go on as planned amid the coronavirus pandemic. And his current plan is that it will be with fans in the stands. So, Stephen Ross, I hope you're uh, a soothsayer, my man. I hope you can see the future because he said, I think there will definitely be a football season this year. He went on to say this uh, this past Tuesday during an interview on CNBC. He said, quote, real question is, will there be fans in the stadium? Right now, today, we're planning to have fans in the stadium. So hats off to you, Mr. Ross. The NFL has not made any firm decision on whether to allow fans into stadiums during the 2020 season, but the league released its schedule earlier this month and plans to play a full 16-game schedule starting September 10th. Ross went on to say, we all miss sports. The NFL, I think, will be ready to go. I know we're all looking forward to it. I know I am. So will it be for the Dolphins? Tua Tungalavoa, the quarterback, drafted Alabama, Alabama number five, or will it be Fitzmagic, Ryan Fitzmagic? I think it's going to be Fitzpatrick. I think to throw Tua in right now to start would be wrong when you have Ryan Fitzpatrick, a guy that knows how to win. And people used to ask me, uh, they say, hey, are you going to bet on this game or what should I take in this game? And they're playing Miami. What do you think about me betting against Miami? And I always tell people there are certain guys if I ever have a pool or something I'm uh, invested in and I'm looking at a particular game, there's certain people you stay away from, folks. When you wager or when you have a pool or a fantasy-type situation, if you have this guy, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's a wild card. You have to be careful. You bet against him, you go in a ball game, he could throw five touchdowns. Conversely, he could throw five interceptions. You really don't know. But the one thing about him is you don't ever want to go against him. Because the minute you go against a Ryan Fitzpatrick is the time he comes out and throws it all over the yard, 400 yards and five touchdowns. You're like, why did I go against that guy? And you heard it here on the Sports King Show. Don't go against certain guys. I used to have problems years ago with if I'd ever uh, take in a ball game, if I put something on a uh, game against Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers used to kill me. A guy that was always capable, no-hit stuff as a pitcher. Some games bad, some games good. Whenever I picked him or picked against him, he would go lights out. But he was one of those guys, certain players that you always say to yourself, circle them as a wild card. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a wild card for me because you just never know what he's capable of. Uh, do you shake your head if he throws five touchdowns? No, you're like, he's capable. Do you, th- you shake your head if he throws five interceptions? No, because he's capable of that too. But I see the Dolphins transitioning to Tua maybe in your two of Tua, uh, easy for me to say, but I think Fitzpatrick is the guy that will help 
you know, ease of transition. But you want to go into a season with a seasoned veteran, a guy that can keep you in ball games. And that's one thing that, and talking about the Redskins, is the fact that I love about Fitzpatrick is he's a guy that can keep you in games. Is it guaranteed you're going to the playoffs? No. Guaranteed you won't? No. Because you don't know with him. If he has good uh, supporting cast, he can do great things down there in Florida. And I'm looking at the Dolphins as a team with a lot of question marks. But with Fitzpatrick, how many times have you seen a guy go on the four, five, six-game winning streak type roles? He has that kind of ability. That's why they call it Fitzmagic. He was that way in Buffalo. He was uh, a great Bill at times. Bill's fan loved him because of the fact that he was a gamer. What's a gamer to me? A guy that's going to give you his very best every week. You always knew he was going to do that. Didn't always work out that way. He didn't have some great defensive efforts sometimes, but offensively you knew he could put up points. You knew he's a gunslinger. You knew he'd go in every game saying, I can win this, and you believe in him. From an offensive standpoint, when you look in those other 10 guys in the huddle and they look at that quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick's a guy you believe in. And from a fan standpoint, you feel like, hey, he can keep us in games. He can win some games. He should and maybe lose some that he shouldn't. But you can never bet against a Ryan Fitzpatrick. Just a little advice here from the Sports King. Because he's a guy that is an absolute wild card in everything he does. What do you think? Give us a call. 804-327-0888 is the number. Should Tua start? Uh, If you're a Dolphins fan out there, would you start him? What do you think? Would you go with the Alabama quarterback to start or would you go with somebody else, like a Ryan Fitzpatrick? Do you feel that's the way for the uh, up-and-coming Miami Dolphins? They're doing a lot of great things down there. And, of course, now you've got to try to keep up with Tampa Bay because of Tom Brady and what's going on there. And of course, they're stealing a lot of thunder down there in uh, Florida because of what's happening with Gronkowski and Brady and all that. So you're looking at a situation with the Buffalo Bills that uh, – as we talk with Lorenzo Alexander, they're on the cusp. I really feel like uh, with Josh Allen and the team there in Buffalo, that Bills Mafia defense and the fans, the Bills Mafia, they are so supportive that this team is really, it's got a great ownership and Tim and uh, uh, Terry Pagula and Kim Pagula, they are great. We heard about that. So they've got the great ownership. They've got a great management, uh, Brandon Bean and company. You've got Sean McDermott. They've got all the pieces. This Buffalo Bills team really is going to do some great things this year. Should we play the year? We certainly hope we will because the Buffalo Bills, as Lorenzo Alexander, our hour one guest said, are on the cusp because of the Jerry Hughes at linebacker and, of course, uh, Tremaine Edmonds of Virginia Tech standout. This team is poised to make a serious run. Going to take a timeout. 20 minutes left in the show. Give us a call, 804-327-0888. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sports King on Sports 1061. Hi, sports fans. This is Hall of Famer Andre the Hawk Dawson of the Chicago Cubs. You're listening to a guy who hits a home run with every show. It's the Sports King with Jamie King on Sports 1061. Coastal Carolina University offers you the academic experiences you need to succeed after college. From marine science to computer science, from theater to music technology, from hospitality management to health administration, there is a place for you at Coastal Carolina University. With inspired learning opportunities in the classroom, in the field, online, and around the world, Coastal Carolina offers the opportunities to support and empower your success. Visit coastal.edu to learn more. 
Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. It's no secret that we're in uncharted waters, but that doesn't mean we should be afraid. Because now is an opportunity to do something heroic. We realize that this is the time to organize a blood drive, help our elderly neighbors with groceries, and assist local nonprofits. And that's exactly what CMA's Colonial Honda is doing. In fact, we set up a helpline to assist people in our community in any way that we can. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance, you can reach our CMA helpline at 434-220-8885. Again, our CMA helpline is 434-220-8885. And of course, if you're in need of any automotive help, we are taking extra precautions to keep our dealership clean. To learn more, visit cmascolonialhonda.com. We applaud you for helping one another during this time. You have inspired us to do the same. CMA's Colonial Honda, moving lives forward. You're listening to the man who thinks that Velcro is nothing more than a ripoff. The Sports King on Sports 1061. Welcome back, everybody. Tuesday edition of the Sports King. And I haven't done it in a little bit, but I'm going to do it right now. It's time for the Royal Rants. Hear ye, hear ye. It's time for the Royal Rant. What is on the mind of His Royal Highness? What sports figure, team, or player has raised the ire of His Majesty? Is it sports-related, or is there something else in the kingdom that has him ready to vent his displeasure? Without further ado, here is the Sports King with the Royal Rant. My Royal Rant today, and uh, I'm playing off of uh, the article written by Christine Brennan, outstanding writer, USA Today. I'm talking to you, Lance Armstrong. I'm over it. I'm over you. After watching arguably one of the greatest documentaries I've ever seen in The Last Dance, and yes, you can say all you want, that it was slanted towards Jordan and maybe his teammates got a bad rap and some people are upset. It was great TV, great theater. You lifted the curtain on one of the greatest sports franchises ever and saw Michael Jordan. And say what you will about Jordan's greatness and all the things he did, and whether you liked it or whether you didn't, You can't argue with the talent and what the man did. He pushed the buttons, pulled the levers. He knew everything to do to get the maximum out of his teammates. Now, you may say he had some unsavory ways of doing it at times. Maybe you don't agree with how he did it. Maybe he went about it the wrong way. But at the end of the day, he got them to rise up and try to play to his level, which, of course, Scotty Burrell said, we can never be him, but he wanted us to try to be. And so he tried to pull out the best, and that was the way he went about it. Meanwhile, we transitioned to, from one of the great documentaries of all time to one of the worst I've ever seen. Whoever put this together, what are you thinking? Lance Armstrong? Are you kidding me? Let's go back in time. The sports king among maybe millions of you was a huge Lance Armstrong fan. Winner of seven Tour de France's. The guy was exceptional. I cheered for him, openly rooted for him. Cancer diagnosis. Having members of my family pass from cancer, suffer from cancer. His foundation lived strong, amazing, did amazing things. I won't take that away from him because that's something that 
raise millions and millions of dollars. But that, to me, is where it ends for Lance Armstrong. Because what he did to the sport and to the American public and to the world at large, he duped millions of people. He lied. He cheated. He ruined lives. And then he tried to justify it during this documentary, talking about, well, this happened and this happened and so forth. And we've been through over two months of a pandemic. And we deserve to see some quality television. This is not quality television. I don't give a damn about Lance Armstrong. Don't want to hear about Lance Armstrong. There's nothing he can say. Because I cheated. I doped. I used drugs, illegal drugs. Everything I did in winning all of those events, yes, I won, but I did it by artificial means. And were not for somebody a fellow writer coming out and pinning the blame on me and me having to cop to it and say, yeah, I did all that. But pay no attention to that. The seven Tour de France is all the wins I had. The fact that I did it illegally, hey, that's no big deal. Well, you cheated the sport. You cheated the world. And all the people that were your fans that got behind you, you cheated all of us because we believed in you. We wanted to believe in you. We cheered for you openly. And the shocking truth is this guy sits there and tries to talk it away like it's just going to be swept under the rug. It's not going to happen. Why an ESPN would give somebody, it's almost like, I thought, what's next for ESPN? Are they going to have the Millie Vanilli uh, discussion where they're going to have those guys sit down and talk about the fact that they had some major hits, albeit the fact they couldn't sing or perform, but they had, uh, you know, some hits once again. Millie Vanilli, Lance Armstrong, shake him up in a bag. The same thing to the sports king because this is a situation where you have the most despicable cheater in sports history, arguably. He's not a changed man. He started the show dropping F-bomb after F-bomb, which was just absolutely shocking to me. Seeing a guy trying to explain away cheating at the level he did for as long as he did and got away with it. And then on top of that, has a cancer diagnosis, and then pulls all of America in on that. And, of course, he starts a foundation, which did a lot of great things. So I'm not taking away the foundation. I am taking away the person. So Lance Armstrong, I don't want to see any more television. I don't want to hear any more. The more you talk, the bigger the hole you dig. Absolutely, what you did, you can't, un you can't unwind it. You can't take it back. You did it. And in duping... America and the world, you lost all respect. Once you did that, and you knew what you were doing because your teammates did it too, but once you started injecting and doing all the things you did to beat the system, your fellow riders and, and guys competing against knew something was up. And you tried to hide it as long as you could until you couldn't hide it anymore. So the fact that you did this to the world and then had the audacity to sit there after we get done watching 10 episodes of one of the great documentaries of our time to see you try to explain away cheating America and the world, it just fell on deaf ears. So I'm hopeful. I don't want any ill will towards Lance Armstrong as far as anything happening to him, but don't care about the guy. Don't want to see the guy. And you may say, well, you're being a little harsh on the guy. Hey, listen, if you did something one time and you, were caught and he went on to win six titles cleanly, you'd say, well, you know what? He made a mistake. 
But when you do that over and over, year after year, year after year, year after year, and you get all the money and all of the adulation, and he ended up paying millions of dollars, and he still has more lawsuits coming his way. But when you have to pay that money back after having all the millions and the lifestyle and the celebrity that you enjoyed because of your cheating and your lying, it just is despicable. What you did to the world cannot be forgiven. And I hope nobody else puts you back on television to try to explain it because you didn't do it well now. You didn't do it well before. And it was just an atrocious thing to have to even watch a few minutes of because I had to turn it off. I could not do that. And I thought to myself how sad it is for ESPN to go from the greatest documentary in the highest level to the absolute worst in the span of a week. And that's my take. And that's my royal rant, just an absolute horrible, horrible uh, presentation. And it's something, I don't know who executive wise said, Hey, this would be a great thing. Let's go from the very best to the very worst. And I'm not telling you that it was a small drop. It was a precipitous drop from top to bottom. This went from the very best I've ever seen to the worst. And there's no middle ground there. So that's my take. What's yours? 804-327-0888 is the number. Armstrong, just uh, uh, not for me. And uh, maybe you guys feel the same way, but it's one of those situations where I felt just something that we didn't need to see uh, in a time we're trying to get our spirits lifted, in a time we want to see something positive. It definitely was uh, TV that was not worth watching in my take. So that's the situation there. I do want to let you know some good news transitioning to the NHL. The NHL is going to reopen facilities, start training in small groups as early as June. The National Hockey League and its players union have reached an agreement to return to the ice as restrictions begin to ease during the coronavirus pandemic. The league announced it will reopen team facilities and begin training in June at a date to be determined. Once open, six players will be allowed in a facility at one time. They'll be wearing masks when they're not on ice, according to the league. The NHL uh, released details of the Phase 2 transition back to ice activities on Monday. We are now targeting a date in early June for a transition to Phase 2. However, it has not yet been determined when precisely Phase 2 will start or how long it may last, the NHL stated. The on-ice training will be for players only. No coaches, skating coaches, other club employees, or uh, anybody on the club will be able to participate in any on-ice sessions, the league said. The league also stressed that players will not be forced to return to the league's home city, and participation in these workouts is strictly voluntary. All players and team personnel will be tested prior to utilizing the team facilities. Also, any person returning to the team's home city by public transportation, including commercial, air, or rail travel, must serve a 14-day self-quarantine period post-travel before engaging in training activities, the league said. Teams' medical personnel can also impose a 14-day quarantine on any personnel returning from a high-risk environment. So the NHL is uh, trying to get the Stanley Cup playoffs in works. The proposal is for a 2014 Stanley Cup uh, playoff format through a vote that will be uh, that was concluded on Friday night. If it uh, it passed overwhelmingly with the 29-2 tally, according to TVA Sports, but the NHLPA issued a statement indicating several details remain to be negotiated. So the makeshift tournament would feature 12 teams in each conference, I like that, with seeds based on points, percentage, and calculated using every team's record at the time of the pause. The top four seeds in each conference would automatically advance to the traditional round of 16, but seeds number 5-12 through 12 would have to live 
uh, would have to play uh, their way into the tournament. Uh, multiple reports have indicated the league is zero in on having two centralized hub cities, one per conference with several NHL cities making bids to host. But with such uncertainty and fluidity across North America due to the pandemic, no formal decisions have been made. So you're looking at a situation where you got to give them in a bubble again. If you can get two divisions in that small area, like a Disney type area where you have the ability to play, uh, you can compete and go for a Stanley Cup. So this is going to be abbreviated, but you got a team like the Capitals with one of their best records ever playing so well before all this stopped. You wonder how quickly uh, the guys can get their legs under them, how healthy they're going to be uh, in terms of um, you know coming back quickly. The big question is their legs. Uh, when you're going end to end and you've been practicing that way, you know, running in the neighborhood, working out in your driveway, not the same as running uh, on ice and skating on ice full speed and trying to stop on a dime and do the things they do. They're incredible athletes, so you wonder how much the time is going to take to get them back to 100%. They are close enough to it, but the team of uh, it'll basically be 24 teams overall in terms of the Stanley Cup format. I'm, I'm for it if you can do it safely, but then again, you have to figure a way to get all these teams in there and get them under uh, just an area that's going to be almost like an Olympic village setup where they stay quarantined in that area for that duration. And uh, you have doctors everywhere testing going on full time. So it's going to be interesting. But the NHL hoping to reopen facilities starting in small groups in early June. Uh, we'll keep you up to date on that. But folks, we're hearing some positives. Of course, Major League Baseball, uh, still nothing major there yet. The NFL letting some key personnel back into the building. Players and coaches, not yet. So we're talking about that. College football, what's going to happen there? Uh, it's interesting to see, and uh, we are going to be hanging on every 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 uh, word coming out of these facilities to find out when the NFL is coming back. What's happening with the NHL? We just mentioned that Major League Baseball. We're not sure because of the financial aspects. Who's going to give? Who's going to blink? Who's going to give something? Uh, both sides have to give because money is going to be lost at the gate. We know that. So that's the situation there. And we are hopeful for sports to return quickly, as quickly as possible. We do want to thank our one guest, Lorenzo Alexander, linebacker formerly of the Washington Redskins and the Buffalo Bills, two-time All-Pro player there. Uh, had a great career as a special teamer and linebacker. He uh, is doing some great things with his foundation. And, uh, folks, we really appreciate him appreciate him talking to us about the Buffalo Bills. He feels the Bills are right there on the cusp of making a run maybe this year at the Super Bowl, he said just beating New England and getting by New England is not enough. He wants to see them take that next step and compete for an AFC title and potentially a Super Bowl. And guys like Mike Neville, longtime Buffalo Bills fans, you know, it's music to their ears. They want to see the Bills win a world title. And it's something that uh, they've been waiting a long time for in New York. So we'll monitor that. So that's going to wrap up this edition of the Sports King Show for Ben Maitland. I'm the Sports King, Jamie King. And reminding you to join us tomorrow for the Wednesday edition, 10 a.m. to 12. Don't forget, Big Al starts it all off here. Sports phone, 8 to 10, live, Big Al, live on Sports Phone with Ben Maitland there. Then we go 10 to 12 here with the Sports King. And then immediately following my show momentarily, we go to Jim Rome in Los Angeles for the jungle with Jim Rome. And the great Jim Rome takes over from here. Be kind to one another. Take care of one another. If you can donate blood, please do. Have a great day. And we'll see you back tomorrow for another edition of the Sports King on Sports 1061.